I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're only going to focus on uh, two verses this morning, verse 5 and 6. We are beginning a brand new series today titled, The Case for Contentment. How do we practice Thanksgiving? Of course, you know, the fourth Thursday, I believe, of every November, we celebrate as a nation, we mark Thanksgiving Day, right? And it's meant to be a day where families and friends come together and we uh, celebrate the goodness and faithfulness of God. Of course, that was really the original intent with Thanksgiving. Now, I know that as societies become more and more secular, it's become more about the food and the gathering, more so than about acknowledging the one who has made all these things possible. But we as believers have a responsibility of projecting the right response, the right example when it comes to you know, holidays like this, where we are able to pause. And again, it's not something we do only once a year, but that we do every day, becomes a practice of our lives, that we acknowledge God for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he continues to do in our lives. But we're talking about Thanksgiving as a practice, not something that just we do you know, randomly or we do sporadically. We do it, 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 Thanksgiving must be a part of our everyday walk, our everyday experience, where we are constantly acknowledging the God who has made our, our, our blessings possible. And so we're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks. How do we practice contentment? How do we practice Thanksgiving as a daily walk? I came across a story, a legend um, out of India that tells about a mouse who was terrified of cats. And so this mouse sought a magician's help to transform him into a cat. For a time, his fear of cats was diminished when he became a cat until he met a dog. Again, he turned to the magician for help and asked that he be turned from a cat now to a dog. The magician obliged, turned him into a dog. And again, for a time there was peace until this dog met a lion, met, met a tiger, excuse me. And because he's afraid of tigers, he goes back to the magician and says, hey magician, I'm afraid of tigers, turn me into a tiger. And the, ti and the magician obliges him and turns him into a tiger. So now you have the mouse, turn cat, turn dog, turn tiger. And for a time he's content until he comes across a hunter. And he goes back to the magician and says, hey, I'm afraid of hunters, turn me into a hunter. The magician says, I will not. And he turns him back into a mouse. And when he asks the, the magician, why did you turn me back into a mouse? This was his response. I made you into a mouse again because even though you had the body of a tiger, you still have the mind of a mouse. Contentment. Being content with your state, your condition, is something that is very hard to do. Even though it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a virtue, it's a character trait that we all um, celebrate in others. We celebrate people who are content, who have a sense of self-awareness and self-assurance and are not constantly grasping after things and chasing one thing after the other because they're pursuing things that they hope will make them happy. There is this illusion behind discontent, this idea that true lasting happiness only comes with us being or having or possessing something that we currently do not have. I came across a, a, a survey that was conducted uh, about, about, uh, about five or six years ago. Um, and in this survey, the question was asked, what is the, the state of, of happiness in, the, in America? 
they, they poured a group of adults over a uh, five, six year period. Um, actually, no, what am I saying? They, from 1973 to 2016, they, they poured a, a, a section of the population to get a sense of, you know, what's the trend when it comes to happiness? You know, are people more happy over the years or are people less happy? And what they discovered was that there is a tremendous decline in the state of happiness. Um, people are just generally unhappy. They're, they're, they're unhappy with, you know, maybe it's their job, they're unhappy, maybe it's their relationship, maybe they're unhappy with, you know, where they are, are in life, and, and maybe there's things that they sought to do that they've not been able to accomplish, or, or even worse, they look at somebody else and they think, why am I not like so-and-so, why don't I have what so-and-so has, why is my life not like so-and-so's life, and, and there's a general discontent with life. Because, again, human nature, we tend to ascribe happiness based on our condition. So if things are going great, we think we're, we're happy. We think that life is good because things are going great. But then, in the flip side, when things are not going great, we feel like, well, we don't have no reason to be happy. Here's the thing, friends. Contentment is different from just happiness. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness, I see, I see as a response to what's happening in my life. But understand this morning that God isn't calling us to simply be happy or to pursue happiness. God's desire is that we learn to develop this trait called contentment. Because contentment is not based on superficial things that are here today and then gone tomorrow. Contentment is not based on things that are, 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 are not constant or stable or 100% or, or, or reliable in our lives. Here's the thing. You buy a brand new car today, you know, five, six years from now, you're going to be wanting to get rid of that car because it's giving you problems. It's having issues. It's having, you know, things that are coming up and you have to get it repaired. And you have to get it fixed. Nothing lasts forever. Do you understand me this morning? Nothing we acquire in this life lasts forever. So, so contentment does not come from the stuff we have. How many times we hear about people who have, who have seemingly everything and yet they're, they're, they're not at peace and they make drastic decisions to show that they are so discontent with life. Friends, contentment is not about what you have or possess. You can be the poorest person on the planet and yet be content. Be more content than the person who has the, all, all the riches in the world. Because it has nothing to do with possessions. It's a mindset that you and I must embrace. And what, what, I, wanna, what I want us to understand this morning is this. Genuine contentment will only come, friends, when you and I find satisfaction in the sufficiency of God. When you and I learn to see that God is the one that I need to look to, that I depend on, friends, contentment will elude us. We may find seeming contentment in the things that we are acquiring, the things we accomplish in this life, but trust me, it will only last for so long. Lasting, genuine contentment comes from knowing the one who is able to meet your need whenever that need arises. In Hebrews chapter 13, we see the writer of Hebrews addressing the, the church because he was dealing with a group of believers who were dealing with all kinds of struggles and challenges, uh, persecution, you know, um, attacks from people who were against the faith, uh, people who didn't understand the faith, who were antagonistic toward the faith. And, and so sometimes for many of these believers, the question of what is the point of following Jesus if I'm constantly being attacked, if I'm constantly being, being, having to look over my shoulder because of those who are opposed to Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews has to, among many things he addresses, deal with this issue of, of our reliance on God and this awareness of who God is so that everything about us, our state of mind, our response to life is based on it, is pretty
predicated on our perspective of who God is. That no matter what's going on in your life and in my life, that we're able to walk in contentment in spite of the things that may be going wrong. Because our focus is on the one who we have put our faith and trust in. Here's what the writer says in verse four and verse five and verse six. Talking about contentment, he says this. He says, we are to make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever abandon you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? What the writer here in these two verses is suggesting to his audience is this. That whereas it is easy for you and I to again to, to gauge the, 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 the quality of our lives, the success of our lives based on what we have or what we don't have. What he's saying here is that contentment comes because you're aware of the God who called you to put your trust in him. To literally put your life in his hands and to trust that he will lead you where he wants you to go. That he will do what is necessary to help you become who he wants you to be. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what contentment means. And tonight, today, excuse me, we're going to deal with this issue of contentment based on our awareness of God's sufficiency. So we're going to break down these two verses as we go along this morning. The first thing I want to leave you with, I want to challenge you to consider is this. When we talk about a content heart, the attributes of a content heart or qualities of a content heart. Number one, a content heart does not lose sight of God's faithful provision. A content heart is always mindful of the fact that no matter what's going on in my life, I know that God is, God is, God is going to take care of me. No matter what I'm dealing with, no matter what I'm struggling through, I know God is going to take up for me. Why? Because that's who He is. He's a faithful God. God is not a fair weather God in the sense that when things are going great, He's around. And when things are not going great, He checks out. Oh, well, you know what? You know, I, I don't, I don't want to be around her. I don't want to be around him because, you know, things are going rough. No, God is not that kind of a God. God is faithful. He is constant. He is consistent. And, and part of what helps us to develop this, this, this character trait called contentment is when we recognize that, you know what? My, my contentment is not based on what I have, but it is based on who God is. We must never lose sight of God's faithful provision. In other words, trust God's record of faithfulness. Has God been faithful to you before? Has God been faithful to you before? Then you trust that record of faithfulness. I mean, we do this with human beings. We, we, we go back to the ones who have proven themselves to be worthy of our trust. We go back to the same businesses over and over. Why? Because we trust that they're going to do what they say they're going to do, right? If we can do that with fellow human beings, how much more God? And yet what typically happens, and I'm not going to suggest that it's, it's, it's not something that I've, I've not experienced myself, but what typically happens is when we go through difficult circumstances, it is so quick for us to either look to God as the last resort, or we begin to question God's intent for allowing us to go through what we're going through. God, do you not care? God, do you not love me? God, do you not see what's happening to me? God, what are you going to do about this? And we begin to question God's intent concerning us. We must learn to trust God's record of faithfulness. Why? Because God is faithful. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace overflow to you, Paul says, so that having all, always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. It is God that makes His grace available to us, is what Paul says. It is God that makes, that provides for every need in our lives so that we're able to have, have what we need to be able to do what He's called us to do. The content heart 
is a heart that is at peace and satisfied with God's provision. It means that even when you're faced with challenges and struggles, you remember what God has done. You know, the song we sang, I will sing of the goodness of God. It's a song alluding to what God has done in the past. We're saying, I will sing of the, in, in my present state, no matter what's going on now, I will sing of the goodness of God rather than complain. Rather than wonder or worry or fret or be anxious for nothing, I will sing of the goodness of God. Why? Because I recall what God has done in the past. God's record of faithfulness in my life, I recall how God saved me, how God provided for me, how God protected me, how God made a way for me where there seemed to be no way. God's record of faithfulness is flawless, friends. So a content heart, when, even when things are not going great around you, that contentment comes from knowing that, you know what? I'm fine. Because I have God. He is with me. He is for me. He will take care of me. We must learn to train ourselves to see beyond the present moment and trust in God's record of past faithfulness and in his future promises. God is not man that he will lie. The things he says he will do, he will do. It is up to us to trust him, to take him at his word, and to find peace in the promises he has made to us. But not only does the content heart not lose sight of God's faithful provision, but also the content heart trusts God to always act for their good. The content heart, not only is a content heart confident in God's track record of, of faithfulness, but a content heart always trusts that God will do what is in my, what is for my good, what is for my best interest. Now, now, of course, it's not that God just simply acts according to my will. God acts according to his, but whatever God does concerning my life is always going to be good. Romans 8 verse 28, Paul writes, We know that God causes all things to work together. Now sometimes we, we look at this verse and we think it means that God makes bad things happen or God, 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 God initiates bad things in our lives. No, that's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that God will cause the things that we experience to work together for good. So a, a situation, a circumstance that is dire, that is difficult, God steps in. Why? Because we have learned to trust Him and we've learned to draw our peace from Him, our rest from Him, and we're not, we're not discombobulated, we're not, we're, not, we're not fretting, we're not anxious for nothing. We're, we're coming to God and saying, God, I, because I trust what you've done in the past, I know that even in this situation, the outcome is going to be good. You're going to see me through. You're going to make a way for me. You're going to provide. You're going to give me guidance and direction. You are going to see me through. Paul says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. To those who are called according to his purpose. The content heart trusts God to always act in our best interest. That God will always act in leading us toward a life of fulfillment, a life of purpose, a life of joy. And this trust that you and I place in God, friends, is rooted in the understanding that no matter what we are going through, again, we find ourselves in this reality that God always has an excellent plan for us. No matter what I deal with, friends, I always remind myself of that scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans I have for you. So when I'm going through a difficulty or circumstance, my, my response to God is, God, you have great plans for my life. I'm going through this for a reason. I know I'm going to be fine. Because God, I trust you. You've done it before. But God, I know you are able to do it again. And so rather than surrender to my worries, my fears, what I do is instead I focus on him. I focus on his word. 
I focus, I, 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 I concentrate time in his presence, seeking his face, taking my mind off of those things that I know would, would feed the fear and the worry and the anxiety, and I focus on him. Why? Because I trust him. And I know that he will always act for my good. In the same way that a child, will, will, when they come to us, are trusting that we will do what is in their best interest. The moment we don't, we, we've, we've tarnished that trust. But when a child looks at us and they trust that we're going to do what is in their best, even when they don't understand, but they know, you know, mom, dad, uncle, auntie, grandmother, grandpa, they love me, they care about me, they want what's best for me that they then respond in a, in, a, in a state of trust. They're content. There's, there's a peace that comes from, 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 from trusting that individual. How much more God? He invites us to trust Him, to depend on Him. Why? Because, again, He is a God who is able and faithful to work according to His perfect will for our good. But the third thing I want to challenge you with this morning is this. The content heart must be concerned with living in God's will. And this is, of all the three points, probably the one that, that challenged me the most. Because it's one thing to say you trust God. It's one thing to say you depend on Him to work out your situation, your circumstance. It's another thing to then act in response to what you know about God while you're waiting for God to, to deal with that situation or circumstance. Here's the thing. At no point, as you and I wait on God, does God take away from us the responsibility of obedience to Him. When the Scripture says we have to trust God with all of our hearts, and not lean on our own understanding, what scripture is saying to you and I is this, even as we are looking to God to lead us or to bring us through that circumstance we're in, the responsibility to obey him still applies. In fact, how we demonstrate that we trust God's will, that we trust that God's will is perfect for us, that we trust that God's will is best for us, that God will work out, will work things out for our good, is that you and I are concerned and are focused on living out his will. And how do we do that? Through prayer, through study, through the connections that God allows us to have with other believers. In 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 9, verse 11, the, 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 the Apostle Paul speaks to, he's writing to the church, and, and in, in the midst of dealing with this issue of, of God's provision and God's supplying their needs, he addresses this opportunity, this responsibility that now we then have to fulfill the commandment that he has given us to love God and to love others. Because again, when you and I are going through difficult circumstances, the tendency is to do what? To focus inward. We begin to just look at ourselves. We are consumed by our own needs and our concerns. And it is in those, in those scenarios that I believe God wants us to look outward. That as we are trusting Him to take care of us, that we're saying, God, help me to not be a tool that you would use to help minister to others. That even in my own difficulty, that I could be a catalyst. We talked about this last week. I could be a tool that God can use to bring change in a person's life. Listen to what Paul says. He says that Paul, God will give you enough so that you can always give to others. We, we tend to see the word enough, meaning, well, at least enough for me. But Paul is saying God gives you enough so that you can always give to others. Then many, and this is, this is the purpose of our, our opportunity to give to others. Paul says, then many will give thanks to God for sending gifts through us. So in other words, what Paul is saying is that when you and I, in a, in a, in a moment of need, a struggle, a dire situation, we learn to, 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 to acknowledge God and we trust Him and we, we find our contentment, our sense of fulfillment in Him and in the reality that we know He's going to take care of us. 
and we begin to say, God, help me, even in the midst of my own difficult challenges, to become a tool that you can use to bless others, that what happens is the result is that they, in turn, begin to praise God. Why? Because they see us as a tool that God is using to bless them. It, it is part of this, this mentality that God calls us to, Christ calls us to have not been so inward focused, but like him, that we are constantly thinking about others, about how God can use it to be a blessing to our neighbor. Because the content heart understands that satisfaction and fulfillment can only be found in knowing Christ, then that content heart seeks to live for him, knowing that as long as I live in his will, I will always be fine. As long as I follow his direction, he will always do what is needed in my life. It is a pursuit that requires dedication. It requires humility. It requires a willingness, friends, to surrender our desires, our plans, our, our way of thinking in favor of pursuing God's purpose. Why? Because we believe, friends, that when we do what God wants us to do, it is the best way to experience his peace, no matter what's going on in our lives. Remember I said to you, obedience, the responsibility to obey God never stops because we're going through a difficulty. I believe that it is even in the midst of that challenge that our obedience shines the light in a greater way on the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the righteousness of God in the eyes of others. Why? Because they see that, that the, the sense of contentment we have, no matter what's going on in our lives, is rooted in who he is and not what we have or we're simply experiencing. So I challenge you, dedicate yourselves to pursuing God's will. When you find yourself going through a difficulty and the, and the enemy wants you to convince you that you should just simply focus on self, no, make up my mind that you're not going to simply focus on self, but you're going to pursue living for God and do so through the disciplines of praying, through the disciplines of studying the word, of seeking guidance, actively seek opportunity to serve others, share the love of Christ with as many as you can. Allow God to use you even as he's working in your life. Again, contentment, friends. It is based on our confidence in the sufficiency of God to take care of our need so that we don't have to wonder or worry or be afraid because of what may be happening to us or around us. What, what the world is lacking today is people who understand contentment. You know, too, too often we're, we're, we're being pulled, you know, by the allure of things and, and accomplishments. And, and, and you know, the, the, the word is a, the word's constantly tugging at our heartstrings to, to give ourselves to things that, quote unquote, make, will make us happy. But in the end of the day, they leave us empty. I know if you've, maybe, maybe you saw this show many years ago. You know, especially in, you know, in light of the fact that, you know, over the last several months, you know, there's been huge uh, lottery jackpots that have been won. I remember years ago, I remember watching this, this show called The Lottery Ruined My Life. And in, in one of the features, they had this gentleman who started off by saying, I wish I never won the lottery. Some people's perception is if I have all the money in the world, I'll be happy. And yet this man, at the end of the day, lost everything and discovered that the things that the world says we should chase after never really truly give us contentment. Yeah, you may have, you may have a bank account full of money, you may have a big house, you may, have a, you may drive a nice car, you may, you may have the, the admiration of the world, but friends, is that, is that really where contentment is found? Because here's the thing, what is new today is going to be old tomorrow. That money that's in your bank account, the day you die, you're not taking that money with you. The people that are patting your back today may be the ones calling you out tomorrow. The things that we look to, that we think will make us happy, friends, do not make us happy. 
They will never make us content. Fulfillment will not come because of the things we accumulate or the things we possess. Fulfillment, friends, will only come because you and I put our trust in God. And we, as it were, we stand on Him as the rock. And we say, God, I depend on you. God, I will live for you. God, I will serve you. I will follow you. Because there's no one else that I can trust better than I can trust you. To take care of me. To see me through. So, so what I want to challenge you with is this. To consider the fact that, that contentment only happens because you cultivate trust and dependence on His faithful guidance. His faithful providence in your life. How do we do that? Reflect on your life. Identify those things in your life that you feel like are hindering your ability to have a right perspective when it comes to what you're seeking contentment in. Make a conscious effort that you're going to distance yourself from the things that shift your focus from seeking, uh, seeking contentment in God and seeking contentment in, instead of, so, so you're seeking contentment in things. Anything that's causing you to seek contentment in things other than God, you need to cut out of your life. Take time to meditate on the word, to pray, to engage in spiritual disciplines that help you to connect a deeper relationship with Christ. Remember that true happiness and contentment, friends, only comes from God and not from you or from anyone around you. And finally, trust God's plan for your life. Trust that God knows what's good for you. He knows what's best for you. Stand on His promises. Even in the uncertainties of life, you can call on Him and be assured that He will not abandon you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will be there for you. But God can't make you trust Him. God can't make you choose Him. God can't make you depend on Him. He invites you to, but that's something you have to choose. And it's not something you do once in a while or every blue moon or when things are going wrong. It's something we do every single day. Every single day we, we commit our lives to the Lord. Every single day we commit our way to Him. Why? Because we recognize that if we have Him, we have nothing. But because we have Him, we have everything. And that we can face every circumstance because we know He is with us. Contentment. It's not based on what you have, friends. It's not based on what you've accomplished. Contentment comes from knowing the one who has all things in his hands and invites us to trust him with everything. I want to invite you to buy his with me this morning as we pray. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful to you for your word. Your word invites us, Lord, to... find contentment not in the things of this world but your word invites us to find contentment in you in you in this in this in this rock solid reality that you are all sufficient that everything i need everything i require is found in you God, it is so easy for us to look to the things that you have created, you have provided, you have made available to us, Lord, and to somehow presume that it is those things that make us happy. It is those things that give us fulfillment, contentment. And yet, Father, the reality is, is it is not those things, but it is you. Help us, Lord, in the season of giving thanks. Help us, Lord, to always have it in our minds, Lord, that my contentment is based on my understanding, my, my awareness of the reality of your sufficiency. God, no matter what we may be going through from day to day, help us, Lord, to never forget that you are with us, that you are for us. And because we put our trust in you, God, you will never lead us astray. 
as the word reminds us, Lord, that Lord, you will work, you will cause all things to work together for the good of those that love you and accord according to your purpose. Why? Because we trust you. We trust you. In the, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of, 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 of worries and fear and anxiety, God, that we trust you. And God, you give us peace. And God, this peace we found in knowing you, God, may we be willing and desire to share that with others. Others who may be seeking to find fulfillment and happiness in things that will never satisfy. God, give us, Lord, a boldness, a burden, a desire, God, to share with someone that sufficiency is found in you and in you alone. And God, I pray for anyone who is here this morning that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray that God, it will be their, their desire today, Lord, to to invite you into their lives, to say, God, I don't, I don't want you just simply know about you. I don't want you to, to simply to be connected with you on a superficial level. God, I want to know you deeply. I want to know the peace that only you can give. I want to know the joy that only you can give. I want to know the rest that only you can give. I want to know the provision that only you can give. And that God, it will begin by them surrendering their hearts and lives to you, acknowledging that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for them to pay for their sins so that God, by putting their trust in Jesus, they can be given the right to become your sons and daughters. And God, whomever that may be today that will call on your name, God, I thank you. I thank you that in this moment, Lord, as they call on your name and I ask you to save them, to come into their lives, to change them, to help them to live a life of total trust and dependency on you, God, that God, indeed, Lord, they will experience that transformative work of your spirit in their lives, renewing them, reviving them, and God, bringing a change that only you can make happen. Thank you, God, for everyone that is responding to you in faith today. And again, for all of us this morning, we pray that, God, you would help us to always be mindful of you, aware of you, aware of your plans, your workings in our lives, your purpose for our lives, and may we submit ourselves fully to you. And in doing so, God, may our lives bring glory to you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Amen.